Our lesson today is from the Gospel of Luke in the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Well, good morning. It's so good to be back with you all today. It's been a little while, and I get to share with you a little bit about one of my favorite parables. So it's a, it's a win for me this morning. Um, But this is definitely a good story, and good stories have layers, as you all know. And so every time that I dig into a parable again, uh, for me, I get to learn something new. And so that that was the case for me this time, as it usually is. And speaking of good stories, all stories start off with a hero, right? It seems like most of the good stories have a hero, and something's gone on. That hero has a wound of some kind, some kind of pain or hurt that sets the story in motion and uh, kind of gets things moving so that things can change in the end. So uh, I was thinking about good heroes and good stories, and we've got, say, Luke Skywalker, and, you know, all of a sudden things are different and his identity's gone and his farm's burned to the ground and he's got to go off on this quest. We've got Nemo and Marlin who have this sad, horrible barracuda attack that sets things off and everything changes from there. And, of course, we've got... Harry Potter, and Harry Potter wouldn't be Harry Potter without the whole Voldemort thing. So, um, 
all of our heroes, they've got the challenges that they have to face, challenges that they overcome, and that's part of what we admire about them. They have faced challenges. They faced them whether they chose them or not, and they transformed because they faced these challenges. And yet, going to places of vulnerability isn't usually the first thing that gets me jumping up and down saying, pick me, me first, I'm so excited, let me experience horrible pain and unimaginable suffering so that I can go through this experience of transformation. Nah, doesn't, doesn't really sound like something that I jump at the chance to do most of the time. The very human thing to do is to shield ourselves from pain, to shield ourselves from circumstances that make us vulnerable. Because if I am being totally honest, I would just rather let someone else take the dubious honor of being the great hero in one of the sagas and stories. And yet, each of us does have our own experiences of pain. We have each experienced suffering. We all experience loss that calls us to change and to transform, whether we face them openly or not. By intentionally paying attention to our places of pain, hurt, and vulnerability, if we do that, though, we open ourselves up to some risky business, I think. Because once we've acknowledged those hurt spots in our life, well, what's next? We have to do something, don't we? In this life, as followers of Jesus, something is required of us when we have noticed our brokenness. We have to turn and learn and begin again, start something new, and begin a life of transformation. So in our gospel story today, we address head-on the complexities of sin and brokenness and what it means to care for each other in this world and on this journey of faith. So if you'll permit me again, let's re-enter the story, this famous story of the Good Samaritan, which is one of my favorites. As you all know, Jesus was talking with a lawyer, and that lawyer, from what we can tell studying this text, he was really sincere in his question. What do I have to do to gain eternal life? He was there listening to Jesus for a reason. As is so often the way of Jesus, he tells this story, this one that is deeply familiar to most of us if we grew up in the church. So Jesus said to him, a man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him, and they went away leaving him half dead. And then a priest went down the road and he saw him. He passed by on the other side. And then a Levite came to the place and he saw him as well. And he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put the, put the man on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he paid the innkeeper, and he said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll pay you back whatever else it costs you. Whatever more you need to spend, I'm going to take care of this guy. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor, Jesus asks. The lawyer very rightly said, The one who showed him mercy. So Jesus said, Go and do the same. That is what you must do. So... This is a story that we have probably heard many, many times. But there's so many different ways, so many different characters to read. And so this morning, what can this often told tale teach us about neighbor love 
about our own lives and our own pain? What can it tell us about what we need to truly be compassionate, to be those who live in this world as ones who would transform it? So if this was only a tale about being the one to, to help the man who was beaten and robbed and left for dead, why would Jesus be so specific about how it was told? Why include the identities of all the other travelers on the road, except the one beaten, robbed, and left for dead? So I submit that this isn't just a simple story about keeping our eyes open for people in need, though that's important, don't leave out that layer. I submit that it's also a story about us, and one that asks us to risk the challenge of lifting our own bandages and take a look at the own hurt places that we have in our lives, to acknowledge our own places that need healing, our own places that are hurting and broken, before we go out, or maybe as we go out, to help those in need. Imagine, again, that this lawyer who asked the provocative question, who is my neighbor? Imagine him deeply sincere as he asks this question. What if he really wants to know? When we hear this familiar parable, as I said, we have a tendency to think of ourselves as the ones who were called to help the suffering traveler, and we are. But this time, I am asking us to lean into the story a little bit differently. Imagine, as Jesus tells this story, that he invites the lawyer to put himself not into the shoes of the ones who are in the position to offer help, but into the shoes of the traveler, that man walking on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Imagine, as we enter this story, a dangerous road, the possibility of violence very really surrounding us. Imagine that Jesus is inviting us who seek to be disciples to see ourselves not as a potential helper, which is a little bit safer of a spot, but as the one beaten and robbed and left for dead, as the vulnerable one. So breathe deeply with me, if you will. That is a hard thing to imagine. At one time in our lives, one time or another, we will all face those things, and we have all been there. Some of us may have actually experienced trauma. And if that's the case for you, I would ask that you take good care of your spirits and don't imagine too deeply something that puts you in an unsafe place. But if it is safe and healthy for you to do so, I would invite you to enter this story, not as the one who can give neighbor love, but as one who really, really needs to receive it. What happens when we enter the story as if we were the ones half dead, bruised, and battered? The ones who need the wine and the oil and the bandages? How does this change how we read this story? Imagine the low points in your own moments of suffering. The knowledge that, that people maybe can see you, but maybe they don't seem to get it. Or maybe they don't even seem to care to try. I would say that this is the heart of neighbor love. This is the heart. We have to start with the wounded places in our own lives and acknowledge that they're there. If we ever truly hope to see the suffering in our world, hope to be the ones to transform it. If we are not brave enough, the dark places and the hurt that exist within us, if we don't face those, 
we can risk doing more harm than good as helpers, healers, and bringers of neighbor love. But if we do hope to be the ones who offer compassion, then we have to know our own ache for compassion. Only then can we be neighbors who genuinely offer it. Many of you probably know author Brene Brown. Uh, She does some amazing work, and she has a fantastic description of the difference between empathy and sympathy. Have any of you seen this video? This is a really fantastic one, so I encourage you to look up the video after because she does a lot better job than I will do quoting her. But she paints us a fantastic picture. She says, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space. When someone's in a deep hole, they shout out from the bottom and say, Hey, I'm stuck. It's dark. I'm overwhelmed. Then we look and we climb down and we kind of peek in and we say, Hey, I know what it's like down there. And you're not alone. Empathy, you get down into the hole with someone. Sympathy is more like peeking over the top and saying like, Oh, yeah, yeah, it's bad down there. Uh, can I get you a sandwich? So, Renee Brown reminds us that empathy is a choice, and it's about connection, a vulnerable one. Because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that actually understands what that feeling is. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with the phrase, at least. And we do that all the time. Because someone, when they share with us something that's very painful, we often try to put a little silver lining on it. So for example, she says, if somebody says, oh, I had a miscarriage, they might say, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. Or if they say, I think my marriage is falling apart, they might say, well, at least you have a marriage. Or something like, John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. The truth is, Rarely do responses make something better. What makes something better is actually just connecting, being there, and listening. So that is why I'm asking us to do this really kind of vulnerable thing of entering this story in the scary place of the one who was beaten and robbed and left for dead. It's hard to acknowledge that there are places in our lives that really do just need bandaging and they need healing. To be a human being is to live with the fact that we will inevitably hurt other people and we will be hurt by them. Whether our own wounds are personality quirks that we'd rather just kind of stick a little spit and polish over, or whether it's pain that we experience in relationships, tragedies in our lives that we didn't ask for or imagine would happen, or whether it's social pain, the discourses in our society that cause pain and suffering and hurt. These places of brokenness are in all of our lives. And to be human is to be walking wounded, whether we are those who wound, as sometimes we are, or we are the wounded. I think of the gamut of my own wounds. From the despair I sometimes feel about our culture right now because it doesn't seem like anybody's willing to listen to each other. Or to the times in my life when I stayed silent, when I should have spoken up for someone or something that I cared about. Or even times when tragedy visited my own life, like when I had a friend commit suicide years ago. There is a spectrum of pain in my life, and there's a spectrum of pain in each of your lives. 
Not all of it is equal, and ranking it seems like a fool's errand to me. But life is beautiful, and life is also terrible at times. And that is why I'm asking us to think about the hard times in our lives. Not because it's easy or fun, but because it is the very thing that Jesus is offering to heal in us. Catholic priest and professor Henry Nouwen talked a lot about the concept of being a wounded healer. He was careful to say this is not a morbid preoccupation with our experiences of suffering or imperfection. But most importantly, being a wounded healer is about the gift of hospitality and community that are promised to us as the saving graces of the gospel life. Nowen says, a Christian community is a healing community, not because wounds are cured and pains are alleviated, but because those wounds and that pain become openings or occasions where community arises because a sharing of pain takes place. We don't stifle it, but we recognize it, that God's saving promises come through those moments of pain and suffering, that that is the heart of the gospel. If we can be honest enough with ourselves to acknowledge those places in our own lives, first maybe to ourselves and then in the safety of those we can trust, our vision changes and we become transformed. We can see the times where we've been the priest and the Levite, and we can see the times when we've also been the hurting one. And then by the miracle of mercy, we can also see the times then where we are called to be that Samaritan who does not pass by our suffering neighbor. Knowing our wounds and tending them wisely means that we are free to engage the world in its suffering. Martin Luther talked about salvation as freedom from sin and freedom for the transformation of this world. Because it means that once we know our own need for healing, we can't ignore those who've been left in the road because we are too aware that in some way we have been there or we will be there. And that the one lying there now is an expression of God's very heartbeat in this world. So if acknowledging our wounds to ourselves and those who can hold them with empathy and compassion is the place we can start, how then do we move from reflection to action without the pain of this world eating us alive? Because as you all know, it is more than we can bear with our human shoulders. Where does acknowledging our shame, our ignorance, the tragedies of our life, and our privilege, where does that get us? The beautiful and the hopeful paradox of acknowledging our woundedness is that we are called not to stay in that place. The healing that takes place from acknowledging our hurt spots gives way towards living resurrection life in the here and now, the joyful and good news that we are never alone with that pain, but we are called to be a community that brings God's kingdom in this world. We are, in fact, called to help transform the pain of the world alongside God, our healer. Because there is a piece of wonderful and strange news in our parable today. When the Samaritan brought the man to the inn after tending his wounds, he didn't stay in the inn with him. He didn't say, this is all mine to fix. He said, I am a part of community and I have a role. This innkeeper, he's the one who can help right now and I can help make that happen. He continued on his own journey after he acted with compassion. He knew that he had one mission. He had a focus in that moment that he could return to. This is how we can continue on in our own lives. 
The wounds of the world are not only ours to hold on to. We hold them together as community of people of God. We are called to participate in making this world God's kingdom come, and we are not alone in that process. Ultimately, the world's pain and the world's challenges, which are so manifold, they belong to God's loving care. And in the way of radical trust, we ask God, how can I be your hands and feet in this world? Where am I called to engage in this moment in the suffering? We cannot fix it all. So we have to rely on our community to support us, to encourage us, to help us hear our calls when they come. As I leave you today, I am aware of the tendency to make sermons like these only about psychological wounds. And that's there, and God is there to heal us from the deepest psychological wound to the biggest social pain in society. And yet I know, you know as well as I do, that our journeys towards wholeness don't exist in isolation. Our transformation has to begin with troubling the waters in our own lives. And through knowing that we are indeed imperfect and acknowledging that we have been hurt in many ways. But that is not all to the story. I started today talking about fictional heroes. But there are real-life heroes that we get to see in this world. Heroes like Gandhi and King. Teresa of Calcutta, people like Harvey Milk and Cesar Chavez and Dorothy Day, they are our guiding lights. They are the ones who show us what exactly it looks like to be God's hand and feet in this world. And we probably all know people in our lives who show us that on a smaller level day to day too. Our own lights in our community. And they call us to change our lives and to change our world. And so I leave you today with this quote from the Talmud. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Amen.